happy Mother's Day! I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your special day. Did anyone get a macaroni necklace this morning? Anybody? Anybody get a plant in a styrofoam cup with just a little of the dirt still in there? No matter where you are right now, if there is a mother within your view, will you have her stand and applaud wildly? Keep applauding. Keep going. Pause this. Call your own mother and uh, thank her for all the things that she's done with macaroni and elsewhere. Um, and moms, I hope you're hearing applause right now and that it just keeps on going because at five o'clock, no one's going to remember that and they are all going to want you to make dinner. So this is your moment. That was it. Okay, today we are going to spend some time talking about benedictions. I'm into benedictions. If you grew up in a church or in a church around churchy people, then you know that that word means a spoken blessing, hope spoken out loud. Benedictions are blessings often read or spoken at the end of a service or end of a ceremony, and I've always been a little contrarian. Ask my mother. High school was a challenge. And so, of course, I'm going to begin with the ending. My husband Mark and I often speak blessings over our kids before they go to sleep. I usually envision this as a meaningful time of spiritual connection, where I speak the ironic blessing, may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine on you, give you peace, be gracious to you. I do the whole spiel. And pretty much no one cares about that except for me. Everyone else has some questions or needs to talk about what's happening tomorrow. And this has been since they were really little. Anna, our eldest, was the worst. She, does anyone else have a bedtime negotiator in their house? She was the master of this. The goal for Anna was just a longer time awake. Um, now I have three teenagers and I hardly ever see them awake, but in this time they had so many needs to be awake. And Anna had a really great um, way that she would make this happen. She would have me sing songs. The blessing was fine, fine. But really she wanted me to sing songs. And her principal goal was to have the longest song possible. So I don't know if you've seen The Sound of Music, but the last song, the goodbye song, so long, farewell, I'll be her saying goodbye. There are 8,000 Von Trapp children, and Anna wanted all of them. I was an exhausted stay-at-home mother, and all I wanted was bed, and so I would try to fudge it a little bit, like, you know, a couple Von Trapps, and I'd like moonwalk out of the room, and she would call around her pacifier, what about Brigitte? This was my life for many years. So my children aren't super into benedictions. It really depends on the reception of the listener. And today we are all going to decide to be receivers of a beautiful benediction. This particular benediction that we're talking about today has been a gift to me over the last few months. In fact, um, I have this old school <laughs> group of note cards that I schlep around with me. Um, you might see me muttering with them in the grocery store. And on a day that I was particularly feeling um, empty and depleted, I found this verse in Romans and wrote it out and have been holding it ever since. And I hope it's a gift to you too. The Apostle Paul did write a lot of great benedictions. Most of his letters have these may you statements where he blesses the people who are reading. I am going to say that sometimes Paul's writing really gives me a headache. We're in church, right? We can be honest here. It's not always the content of what Paul's saying, but man, the guy liked to run on sentence. 
He just didn't, it wasn't into commas. Have you noticed this? And so sometimes it's hard for me to follow him. Um, I'm a writer. I have a thing about run-on sentences and commas and periods, and he didn't really. So sometimes that part is difficult, but I'm telling you what, when he gets to the benediction, all systems go. One of the things I fully appreciate about Paul is the way that he would bless his readers and have these beautiful, crystal clear messages of hope um, that he would give to his friends. So we're going to take a look at one of those today and see what it can teach us about the God we serve. So turn in your Bibles or flip with your app to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Here's some context for you. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and his friend Phoebe is the one who is delivering the message. So here's a note to all the women in your house or in your space. God has hardwired beautiful, specific gifts into you, just like he did to Phoebe. Gifts of leadership and wisdom and compassion and strength and encouragement and joy and all sorts of things you might not even have imagined or asked for. We need to stop waiting for permission to step into that gifting. You have all the permission you need because the God of the universe made you on purpose and in his very image. And I'm so grateful that Phoebe did not wait. She didn't wonder about this. She was a deacon and she um, led in the church. She had this mantle of, of leadership and she was a patron and a messenger. And she's the one who carried this letter to the church in Rome. So I just wanna say, if you are 13 or 103, God sees you, my sister, and he has a beautiful plan for you. So Phoebe brought this letter to the church in Rome, and when Paul is wrapping it up just a little bit before the last chapter, he writes these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I do find it tempting to read the Bible for me. I'm a very selfish person. And so I'll, you know, flip to a proverb, get a little something, something there, do a little psalm action. And there are a wonderful wealth that can come from that. But the temptation to only see myself in scripture actually forgets the main character of scripture. And that is the God we serve. And so we're going to look at this verse through the lens of what does it say? What does it teach us about the character of God? And I'd say the very first thing is that God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of hope. In fact, he defines himself as a God of hope. He's the maker and sustainer of hope. He's the pinnacle of hope. He's the master of it and the only one who embodies it every day, every season, every moment. What God offers to us is hope in something that lasts, something that's sturdy. When everything else around us turns out to be lackluster and flimsy, the God of hope remains. We used to have telemarketers. Do we still have telemarketers? Do people call on phones anymore? Uh, we did for a long time. And there was a telemarketer who called one time. Um, my married name is very complicated. And so she um, was among many who would massacre it. And so I was called Mrs. Wedgie, Mrs. Ouija. And my favorite uh, was this woman who called me Mrs. Wiggle. And she said, Mrs. Wiggle, it's so good to talk with you. She launched into her sales talk, her spiel, and I was not captivated because I was a little offended that she called me Mrs. Wiggle. And then eventually she got to like the closing moment and she said, I just want you to know, your satisfaction is guaranteed. I said, oh, 
Oh, can we say that again? My, what if I, what if I'm unhappy? I was kind of playing at this point. What if I'm unhappy and I need to send this product back? Oh no, your satisfaction is guaranteed, Mrs. Wiggle. Um, I'm just gonna say there are a lot of empty promises out there, right? I didn't buy, by the way. Have you noticed this? We've had a front row seat the last couple of years for all sorts of rickety hope and empty promises. We've watched folks put their hope in all sorts of things that look really great on first glance and then ended up crumbling like a house of cards. Presidents can't deliver lasting hope. I know you're thinking about the other guy right now. You are. But your guy's just as empty-handed when it comes to lasting hope. Politicians are not the embodiment of hope, and when we expect them to be, everything goes awry. Bank accounts aren't any better. Markets rise, markets fall, inflation rises, inflation falls, interest rates up and down. We have great jobs and then we don't. We go to work and then we can't. Money is not going to work if we're looking for hope. What have you been putting your hope in lately? How's it working? Are you placing your hope in something that can deliver? Maybe you're placing your hope in your abilities or your 401k or your degree. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you work out a ton and you're ripped and you're banking that your rippedness will help you avoid health problems later. Maybe it's your parenting style or your zip code. These are all good things, but good things, even good things are not the best things. Only God, only the God of hope offers us the best things. Only a God of hope can bear up under the weight of our need. What we need is hope that lives. Peter wrote about this in his first letter. He said, because of God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Did you catch that? Living hope. That's, there's just enough dead stuff out there. We need something alive. The God who embodies alive hope is the one who offers us a lasting and bright forever. Anything else won't be enough. Okay, so may the God of hope, who is built of hope, embodies real lasting hope, Paul writes, may that God fill you with all joy and peace. Our God fills us up. Everybody feeling full today? I have three teenagers as I... Uh, think I mentioned, and they are not feeling full because they have not felt full since 2015. They come by this genetically. They come by this genetically. Some of you know my fantastic husband, Mark. He is such a gift to me, and we laugh a lot even after 23 years of marriage. We got married when we were 12. Um, Mark also is not in danger of obesity. He has a hollow leg. It's highly, highly irritating in a marriage relationship. Um, we went on a cruise not long ago with our extended family. And when the waiter came to the table, <laughs> he told Mark what the options were. And Mark understood for the first time that he could, off he could order two entrees, two of them. You would have thought that the world was exploding in song. He was like, wait a minute, what? I can have the steak and the salmon? It was the best time of his life. He was not even that happy on our wedding day. I don't recall it like that. So I'm just telling you, he was really stoked about the salmon filet. And I am so happy to report that when God gives us joy and peace, the filling he's talking about is way better than salmon. He's talking about abundance. God is talking about more, more than we ask, think, or imagine, he says. 
The word that Paul uses here, the part where he says that God can fill us up, that's the same word to, to, to describe filling to the brim. You know when you fill your coffee cup and you're a little overeager in the morning or sleeping and it's just a little too high? That's what he's talking about, that kind of filling. Again, I ran into this verse when I was feeling empty, totally empty. And the idea of being full was I was thirsty for that. That's what God can do. May the God of hope fill you to the brim with joy and peace. Now we do say those last two words a lot, joy and peace, right? They are hashtags. They are on decorative pillows. I feel like when we run into words that we see on pillows in TJ Maxx, it's time to revisit. So let's just take a quick refresher on these two words in particular. Joy, the persistent thrill that there is something more, right? A holy confidence, one, one writer said. Joy lasts and God wants to fill us with it. And then peace, wholeness, total health, total welfare to be complete. It rests, that, that word rests on the Hebrew, Hebrew word that means to be complete and to be sound. C.S. Lewis said that God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. So this is not peace that comes and goes, joy that comes and goes. These are lasting things. And God is just ready to fill us up with them to the brim. We do have a job. We have one job, and we see it as we keep reading in Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Our part is to trust that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. This is not easy. This feels counterintuitive to a planner like me. I love plants. I love calendars. When God asks me to trust him, I usually have some feedback. Um, don't we need to chat about this? Do we want to run a risk assessment? I saw a guy recently who did not run a risk assessment and probably should have. I was driving my daughter to school on Grand Avenue. She goes to Stillwell. And out the door, out the window, I saw this happening. This is an unfortunate moment. And I just want to say, if you are the gentleman who did this and you go to our church, I will buy you a cup of coffee to the brim. Um, there were pylons everywhere all around but he did not want to stop for those and he drove that thing right into the concrete <laughs> so there, he's not in this frame but i have another photo of him looking forlorn there was some regret there but listen this is kind of what i picture sometimes when god asks me to trust him right couldn't this happen if i really trust you with all of me with all of us our prodigal children who are far from you can i trust you with this our terrifying diagnosis that looks work worse and worse the more we look on the internet. Can we trust you with that? What about our cross-country move, our cross-continent move? What about our anxiety, Lord, our fears that keep, up at keep us up at night, the depression that clouds and just won't go away? Can I trust you with that? How about the job that I just lost that I thought was a perfect fit? How about a drug addiction, a porn addiction, a work addiction, a social media addiction, an approval addiction. Can I really trust you with all of that? How about a world on fire and all of the humans who aren't just tolerating the fire, but actually throwing gasoline on a fire? Can we trust you with that? Lord, are you up to it? 
Can we really trust you? Well, here is some evidence in his favor. Our God is the one who created the world with a few sentences. Our God is the one who used a bunch of marching trumpet blowers to crumble the walls of Jericho. Our God is the one who slays giants with slingshots. Our God is the one who fights and wins our battles and asks that we only bid still. Our God's the one who took a bunch of social outcasts and upended the course of human history. Our God is the one who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. Is our God trustworthy? The evidence is overwhelming. He is. Last summer, I learned a little bit about trust when we went to the Grand Canyon. We, were, we had to drive a bit to get to the Grand Canyon. And on my GPS, it said we were there. And this is what I saw out of, the, out of my car window. This was the Grand Canyon. I panicked because I was like, I'm not good about social media. Maybe they've been saying the Grand Canyon is dead. It happened, Mark. We missed it. And I'm not joking. Two seconds later, around the bend, this is what I saw. We didn't even know what to do with ourselves. And I'm just going to say, if we'd stopped here, we wouldn't have gotten there. I think trust is a little bit like that, right? This is a weird trust adventure. When you, when you follow Jesus, you don't get a manual. There is no TripAdvisor review, right? You're in and you are asked, are you going to trust him wholeheartedly? We might not see what's around the bend, right? We don't, we don't see what's around the bend. We can't predict what's about to happen. When we were um, in the Grand Canyon, I was with my best friend, Betsy, and she told me this story that she had heard um, earlier that summer, summer. The story was set in Yellowstone. And she said there were these falls there. She heard this kind of an urban legend this woman there told her. There, it's called Tower Falls. And Tower Falls has this little, well, it's not little, it's gigantor boulder that was perched just on the edge of the falls. And Betsy told me this story about how in the 1800s, there were a group of surveyors who were there. They're eating dinner around a campfire and they start placing bets. How long will it take for this thing to fall? It looked like a sneeze would make it fall over. And so they're all taking bets. And one of the guys says, well, I think probably before the end of dinner. That's my guess. They discussed it. Several thought that that would be a good idea. It fell in 1986. I'm just saying, we don't know. We don't get to know that part. We don't get the details of when things are going to come together. But the God we trust has all of that and is 100% reliable to be faithful. So what does this mean for us? Moms and dads of kids who've decided Jesus isn't for them, I want you to hear this. Your God is 100% trustworthy. We don't know what's up. Happily, we are clueless. Our only job is to trust him and to wait for him to fill us to the brim with joy and peace as we do. So what happens when we do our one job of trusting God? Paul tells us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. As usual, when you walk with Jesus, the point is not just you. <laughs> it's not all about us. The point is so that we are filled so that we can overflow with hope. 
this excess of joy and peace is not for us to hoard. We've seen that show, right? You've seen hoarders. That's not what we're talking about here. The overflow is not to keep in our basement or our attics. The overflow is so that we can be a bright light of hope to the people God's placed in our circles. People are desperate to find Jesus. They might not call him by name, but he has what they crave. He has joy and peace and a hope that can stand up on weary shoulders. I once met a couple um, who had anchored themselves to something that they hoped would last. Their names were Hans and Yola, and um, I was in a choir in college when I met them. My friend Suzanne and I were assigned to Hans and Yola for our host people. So they would take a, a couple, all these um, couples would take two or three kids from the choir and host them overnight. And Hans and Yola were our hosts. They had this lovely little house. This was in New Zealand and it looked like a gingerbread house. And um, they were both very gracious, very kind. Um, we got into their home and Yola gave us a lot of snacks. I remember that part. And Hans really wanted us to come into the family room and sit down. So we did, as we were asked, sat down on the couch and he started a video. This is in pioneer times before Netflix, when we had VHS tapes. Ask your parents. So we sit down and he, he turns on this video and it becomes very clear that um, it is a Nazi propaganda film. And so Hans, who's speaking in a very thick German accent, starts to agree with the person who's narrating and says things like, are they teaching you this in your school? Are they teaching you the truth about the world, about World War II? And that wants us to know that Hitler was actually very misunderstood, that um, he was a great leader. He only killed one million people, not the exaggerated six. I mean, Suzanne and I were getting closer and closer on the couch. We were digging nails into each other's elbows. It was a very uncomfortable experience. Um, the light, the curtains were drawn. It was musty in the room. And I'm just going to tell you, 50 years, 50 years had passed between when Hans had lived in Germany and had fought for the Fuhrer and when he was in his living room. And you know what? He was still holding on to a dead, rickety hope. He was still phoning it in, still building something that was far too flimsy for the hope that he put on it. I was young and a little clueless when I visited Hans and Yola. And so while it was a five-star story to tell on the tour bus the next day, it took years for me to grab hold of what they taught me. They'd spent their entire lives, Hans and Yola, with their feet planted in the concrete of Berlin in 1939. Even after all pain and devastation, they were cheering for the wrong team. They were still trying to convince others that evil was good, that loss was relative, and that we just hadn't heard the whole glorious story. They'd built their lives on a false narrative. We don't want to be those people. We want to root our ourselves entirely in the God who is present in this room right now and alive. He offers us something so much better than dead hope. He offers us more than an old story of pain and brokenness. He offers us life, windows open, sun streaming past the curtains. And he offers this abundance in such extravagant amounts. We have an overflow for those around us. The last words of Paul's blessing in Romans 15 tell us how this overflow will happen. 
and it's good news. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Phew, we really have nothing to offer here, right? We can't manufacture a thing, a single thing when it comes to an overflow of hope. There's this really good news. We are off the hook when it comes to controlling the outcomes of our families, our children, our lives, our efforts. Moms, are you hearing what this means for us? The God who began the work in our kids will finish the work in our kids. Dads, sons, daughters, friends, grandparents. The God who started the work finishes the work. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we are not the closers here. Don't get sucked into the cultural narrative that we need to strive more, do more, sell more, be more. That's a false gospel. The God of hope, the God of the gospel of Jesus Christ says that our only job is to trust in him. And in return, we have an overflow of what we need by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's enough. We happily are not. So let's circle back to where we started. I'm into benedictions. I think we need to bring them back. In fact, I think today is a great time to start. What would happen today if you passed on a benediction, a spoken blessing, words of hope over somebody that you care about? I think mom is a good place to start, so I'll go first. Happy Mother's Day, mamas. May God absolutely cover you in his presence and his comfort today. May you not just know but also feel that we see you today. We honor you for all of the smashed Cheerios and the hurt feelings and late nights and relentless needs. We honor the moms who are seasoned pros and the ones who are brand spanking new with a newborn baby this morning in a really awkward car seat. We honor the moms who are brokenhearted after miscarriages. And we honor the moms who are raising children of their own children. We see you all, and we call out the God-drenched beauty in all of you. We bless you, moms. Words matter, right? Moms need to hear words like this today, but do you know what? There's not a person in your circle, in your sphere of influence, that doesn't need to hear who they are according to the God who made them. We all need these reminders. God gave us each other as a family, and I feel like that was intentional. And one of the reasons he did is so that we would bear this sacred duty of reminding each other who we are. We're his, and we're giving the holy task of saying so. So as we close, here's what we can take with us. Say a blessing over someone that you love today. Remind someone you love who they are. Say it out loud, text it, email it, video it, write it, but say the words. It'll take you like 10 minutes. Do it, and it could change so many things. Think of how Phoebe brought Paul's words in that letter to the church in Rome and how they, those words blessed that church and are blessing this church today. Words of blessing have a really long shelf life. Okay, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to listen as I read Paul's benediction over you. Listen to these words and let them just sink in like rain on parched hearts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
to the brim with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.